Cool. So we're we're recording. So now we're we're making an episode. Um, I guess I'll uh, do a quick little little intro thing, and then we'll get started for real. Okay. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Nomadcast. My name is Caleb Enfield, and I'm the host of this show. Uh, before we get started, just a quick announcement. I'm now recording from my spot here in Over the Rainbow on the White Mountain Apache Res. So there's a pretty decent chance you'll hear some res dogs in the background, you know, from around the neighborhood barking. I can't prevent that. I've done everything I can to distance myself from it, but, you know, it happens and it is what it is. Anyway, um, in this show, I use my free time to talk with Native American people that are doing really cool things with their lives. And today I have a really cool Native American person that's doing really cool things with their life. She's a Métis woman that created a company called, I'm going to butcher this, but Achino Stawinan Games. Oh, so close. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, like, this is my yeah. Schwarzenegger. Like, yeah. make people learn it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how do you pronounce that correctly so they know? Oh, my God. So I know. I'm not even going to pronounce it connect correctly because I have a horrible Southern accent, according to some of my teachers. But uh, it's Achino <laughs> Okay, so I wasn't that. I wasn't oh, you were like off. so. Yeah, it was like really on. <laughs> yeah, I just. Uh, I'm a language student, so you know, long words don't scare me anymore. I just start sounding <laughs> them out. <laughs> I just couldn't know if I was phonetically saying it correctly. But anyway, right now that company that she owns or created or whatever is um producing a video game called Hill Agency: Purity Decay. It's a cyber noir detective game. Um, and I'm really excited to hear about it. So we're going to, that's what we're going to talk about today. That amongst other things, I'm sure. Anyway, Megan, is there anything I missed or anything you want to add to your own introduction? Oh, no. I mean, like, I think that's pretty good. Got it all. <laughs> yeah. I uh, tried to do a little bit of research, you know, usually I, well, before usually you I try to your have show. A, yeah, I try to have a little bit of a intro made out, you know. <laughs> I, I have yet to be on a talk. I know it's going to happen one day. We'll be like, and who are you? I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, have you been on shows before then? That's oh, really yeah. Cool. Yeah. I've been on a couple of shows now. Um, I, uh, some of them haven't even come out. I don't know if they will come out. Uh, but I okay. think yeah, a couple. I did one with like Canada, uh, the Canadian Game Devs. And oh, I did a, I did a couple other shows. Uh, those That's fun. Were really, yeah, it was always like really cool. I got to like nerd out about game stuff. Yeah, that's exactly what I plan on doing today. I'm sure it's going to be one of the ones where I let my nerd flag fly a little bit because that doesn't happen too often, you know? On your show? Yeah, well, I mean, um, no, it's just that the circumstances are never really correct to be talking about. Well, I guess that's not true. I've had like comic people on and stuff, and that's really fun to talk about. I don't know. I'm just talking out my ass at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome Any- to showbiz, baby. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, how you doing today? How's it going? Oh, it's going. Oh, man, it's going. Uh, we actually got our tech demo done whew, two weeks ago now. Um, tech yeah, demo, what is that? Yeah, I saw that Twitter post that I put, and I, I had yeah, a moment yeah. where I'm like, are people going to think it's a pregnancy announcement? Because <laughs> I, I definitely phrased that incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was like two years of just trying to get to this point, and, you know, uh, I I talk about indie having like different difficulty levels, and sure, then I, sure. I was sort of like, oh, you know, I'm playing on hard mode, so it's like 
people are like, oh, they talk about like triple A indie. I'm like, no, no, no. That should be like walk through indie, easy indie, yeah, medium indie, hard indie. And then I, I feel like most people who are trying to make games on the res, they're playing on like, uh, what is it? Like death uh, or <laughs> oh man, what is that game? It's like you just keep dying dark souls it's dark Souls. yeah it's level. the dark souls difficulty yeah, yeah you're playing that's, that's dark what i was souls gonna say <laughs> <laughs> so creating from the res is difficult okay um are you guys based on a res then you're uh, is she most Darwinian on games no uh, no where are you we're guys actually sorry where where are you based out of uh we're based out of hamilton ontario but most of our team is actually a lot of our team they either live in their communities or in other urban areas all over canada and some of the united states um, so you're don't... mostly remote work oh we're all remote work we're like okay. 100% remote we've okay, just cool. kind of had to be yeah absolutely yeah so it's it was how does that impact like... the how does that impact the quality of the product? Do you think that's going to impact the quality or anything like that? Maybe not the qual. I don't know about the quality. I mean, yes. Uh, I think in some ways you do get kind of, um, I guess, more interesting opportunities to to discuss things when you're all kind sure. of in the same spot. And definitely, like my dream is to one day have you know uh, a studio that is brick and mortar and that is accessible yeah. and that everyone can kind of get to. But right now, I mean, like, we, we've we been having sort of, uh, we're working on something called a series Bible, which mm-hmm. is the big sort of lore document that really nobody outside the team should be looking at because it's going to, it's basically the Samarillion. Like, it's... Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> you're such a nerd. You know, it's like, you know, you got like nerd cred where you're like, yeah, give yeah. me that boring lore. Tell, tell me about the baker on 25th Street. Like that kind exactly. of stuff. Like it's that's it's so fun. Like, it is fun. It, like it's and it's fun for the team, and we've had a really good time. And like, um, so it's actually uh really interesting. It's worked out that the majority of our team is actually like Métis Cree, uh, and so yeah, yeah. I guess maybe to touch on for you like, uh, your audience in terms of like what a Métis is, it can be a little bit confusing because it's sort of like this very general umbrella term not unlike sort of first nations or like american sure, or, yeah yeah or like native where it's like you have uh anishinaabe gaelic metis you have like uh cree french you have anishinaabe french mohawk french uh my family mm-hmm. is swampy cree british like so metis is this kind of like catch-all term for anybody who I guess was deemed to be too native, uh, but not native enough to be allowed to stay in their community. That mm. makes yeah. So yeah, because it, Canada it had of... the marriage laws. Do oh. they have in the states? Do they have those in the states? I'm not sure what you're referring to with Canada oh. and marriage laws. To be honest. Oh, so marriage laws in Canada were uh, if you were a native woman and you married a non-native man. Uh, you were no longer considered native. Oh wow i I don't I've never heard of anything like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, maybe socially it was unacceptable at some point, but it was never like a law. I don't think it was a law in Canada. It was a straight up law. Like uh, they just retroactively overturned it last year. At which point, uh, my my mother and I were basically like, "Oh, thank you, thank you." Um, that does nothing. 
for majority yeah. of us. Like that, that absolutely helps very few of us. But no, this, this dates back to like, oh my god, I think like 1700s. I'm okay. I'm really bad on uh-huh. that part of the history because I know it was, you you know, there was there was certainly not so much opportunity uh, after the reservation system to marry like for a native woman to marry a non-native man because you know women were even more restricted from leaving reserves than men were but Mm -hmm. it it was just this like and it was this double standard where if a non-native woman married a native man uh she didn't become native but but he didn't lose his status Uh, so like a man could marry outside the tribe and stay native but a woman couldn't okay yeah uh, and, and that was basically to control the, the population because uh, the children of a native man and a non-native woman would not be considered native. Okay. So this was strictly a way of like controlling who goes on the roster, essentially, uh, because yeah, at this you'll... time it was like uh, enrollment or or uh, belonging was not controlled by the nation. It was control or the tribe. It was controlled by the federal government. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it brings up like a whole host of things where you know you it, depending on the nation whether it was matriarchal or not, um, you would have like like you probably would have brought your husband in and your sure. and the boys would have left and gone to their wives' community, and so this really was like a huge detriment to matriarchal systems because it was pulling all the women out. And then you kind of had this choice, like you could either marry a non-native guy and lose your status and be pulled out of your community and basically pulled out of the power structure, or you could stay and probably marry your cousin. And that's also looked down on. So it was like, kind of like screwed either way. Well, it's, it's just the it's a super like messed up system, kind of like the blood quantum system mm. where it's it's designed for people to breed themselves into extinction eventually, you know, maybe not literally, but on paper, mm. there won't be any more Métis or Apache people or whatever, you know, eventually because of these systems that are in place. Because like you said, it's just not possible for a community that small to just continue to breed within that community. To put it bluntly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why <laughs> the reservations were so far away from each other and why they, I mean, yes, it did keep uh, Native people from like interacting with the like larger society that was growing a- around them. But like ultimately it was a means of kind of dwindling their numbers. That was what it was mostly about. It wasn't really about, um, you know, keeping them out of society because then there was the whole like, oh, let's bring them into our society like we did in India. That worked really well, except... It didn't. Uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, cool. Well, I don't mean to, you know, put a pin in that. So oh, abruptly, no, 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 but totally. I, we yeah, we, we, we kind of got off topic. I really want to talk about your, your game and what you've got going on, you know? Well, um, it's not I'm really sure it ties into all that. Yeah. Is, I was just going to say. <laughs> Sorry. I'm so bad at this. No, I, it's okay. It's my first one in since January with an actual guest. So oh, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Hill Agency, Purity Decay. Uh, what can you tell me about it? Because I know it's not out yet. So I'm sure there's still stuff that is undecided and all that. So, well, yeah. I mean, who knows what'll in terms of last minute changes, but in terms mm-hmm. of mechanics are set. So, 
in terms of anything that could possibly like really put a wrench in things, those have all been taken care of and we're working on refining those, which is really what you should do for video games. uh, You know, you can play around a lot with the story um, because not because words are cheap, but mostly because words are much more flexible and can kind of, they, they usually have more room to breathe, but if you've got like new mechanics coming in halfway through, just bleh. So I'm ha- I'm happy mm. we at least stuck with that, and that's what the last two years was really is like nailing down like what are those mechanics, um, and then okay. really in the last two months was like refining like well what do those even look like, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's crazy like all my mentors they always say they're like you know it's gonna not look like anything until it finally does and that's always gonna be at the last minute, yeah, and you never really believe them until you see it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of like, I was is like, this, this is never first... come together. It's going to be terrible. And then I'm like, oh, it looks really good. Yeah. Well, I I've seen the videos. I've watched a few of the trailers on it, and it. Um, well, I think you only have two. That's all I could find anyway. Um, I watched both of them, and they look. It looks incredible. I really like because um, I really like atmospheric, like story driven video games a lot. Um, and the the kind of overtone of it really harkens back to like an LA noir video game or that <laughs> video game LA noir. Uh, maybe not with the violence, obviously, <laughs> but with the, with kind of the darker tones and um, just the them- thematically of investigating things and uh, the noir genre in general, where things are ambiguous as far as morals go. So it just kind of seems that's the way it, like from the outside looking in, that's lo- kind of looks like what you're making mm. and i really yeah. like that yeah that's pretty much what we are going for i mean the thing i really enjoy about noir is it's uh like at its heart it's about broken people in a broken system and mm-hmm. i was like well that's basically the native experience so yeah native noir yeah native noir like the fact that it's not really tapped into i mean you can take the trappings of noir, but essentially at its heart, noir was a way of talking about this this almost almost like a dysphoria that happened when you had all these men coming back, and women, but it did kind of focus on men coming back from World War II, severe PTSD, and a system that like is either get back to work or figure out a way to make a profit or we don't want you. Um, if you're broken, mm. you're useless to us. And that's the system that these people who basically went out, saw the horrors of war, came home, were, were kind of given this promise of like what they would get when they came back and sure. just found that it was a lie. It was a lie to just get them to kill themselves. And I was like, this is a system that we see over and over again. And what I always enjoyed about Noir was it was really delving into, you know, these are very hurt people just trying to make it through and i think sometimes people mm-hmm. miss that when they talk about noir they they talk about like the aesthetic which was, was very influenced sure. by um you know german uh refugees or or german um artists leaving the country well before you know the the sort of the shit hit the fan um mm-hmm. and like getting into hollywood and then really trying to talk about i think male pain in i think the only way they felt comfortable or understood or thought they would be understood is sort of through this like manly man 
But really, mm-hmm. if you look at the early days of noir, it's it's how you know he's not. He's uh, sometimes he's a draft dodger. Uh, interesting. Sometimes, hmm? I said interesting. Yeah, like, but they're all like they're all ultimately broken people who are trying to make a profit. But when you really kind of look at like what they're trying to do, they're just trying to be somebody in a system that doesn't want them there. And I really like that when looking at noir because I was like, that's literally what Native Americans and Indigenous people go through is they are in a system that doesn't want them there, that is telling them to throw themselves on the rocks until they break just to get in, get through the door or something. And then, you know, if you fail, that's your fault, even though it's like so obvious that the system is set up to have you fail. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of obstacles. That's for sure. Yeah. So like, let's, let's look at that. Let's look at that in like an indigenous perspective. And like, let's look at that from a, a sci-fi perspective. Cause the, mm-hmm. the thing about noir is sometimes like with it being grounded in the today, it can kind of put people's hackles up. Cause like, well, oh, you know, like we're not all like that or hashtag not sure. all, whatever. Um, yeah. But if you throw sci-fi in it, all of a sudden people are like, well, this isn't now. This is the future, and that's future problems. Yeah. Even though you're like, when has sci-fi ever been about anything other than the present? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, looping back a little bit, because I want to talk about the indigenous futurisms thing, but the um, I want to touch back on this. So you said that noir is this thing about vulnerability um, and being uh, being rejected by a system essentially that's such an interesting idea to marry that with um native like within a native story because of the things you pointed out but also i'm just curious um you said that or in the description of the video game it says that this is in a in a thriving indigenous metropolis right Mm -hmm. so how i mean i'm just kind of it seems like there's like a disconnect. Is the metropolis not doing well then? Is that why it's noir themed, or is it just the the tone of the story and the people in it? Mm, I mean, so just you know, like how I, do I how do I yeah, so, how do I read the the society at large in that sense? Well, I mean, that's part of what you'll get going into the game, and and we do sure. want to play with people's expectations of like, oh, it's noir and cyberpunk, so this is shitty, right? This place is shitty. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, we want people. We do actually want people to think that going in because like. Uh, in some ways, I'm like, uh, if you kind of talk to people who are like urban, even urban natives who've never been on reserve before, if you mm-hmm. kind of talk to them about like, if they felt really, really comfortable to, with you, and maybe they were a bit drunk, and you ask them honestly, what are your feelings about going into a reserve for the first time? They're probably mm-hmm. going to have a lot of anxiety because the narrative around reserves is, you know, oh, it's awful. Oh, there's a lot of crime. Oh, like everything's shitty. Like, this is the attitude people have towards these predominant indigenous spaces is like, Oh, there's some, it's like not a good place. It's a dystopic place. But when you go and you like, you're there and you're especially there, if you're like as a guest or a family member, like it's just, you really look at it. You're like, Oh, it's just, it's just a town. It's just a small town. Like there's nothing here that's scary. Like, yeah, just like any small town, it's got bad shit, but you know, that doesn't make it dystopic. So I did actually want people to kind of go into this game being like, oh, this, you know, the ground, it's like probably falling apart. I'm like, nope, nope, that's what the other place beside it is. And so like you have the sovereign <laughs> nation on the ground 
which yeah going in you're like oh i guess it's shitty and then the longer you spend they're like this place is really nice and then you go into the like uh, the risen city and the floating palaces and stuff and it's just this juxtaposition of trappings of civility versus like real community so mm. you have this place on the ground that's like, oh, it's gritty and, you know, things are repaired and stuff doesn't look new. Like, so? That doesn't make it a bad place. And then you go into this other place and it's shiny and sparkly and it looks really great and everything's really fancy and it's rotten underneath. And these are the, the things I want to play with. And it's really like a very harsh look at capitalism, uh, yeah. essentially. <laughs> Can you uh, can you elaborate on that a little? Yeah, I mean, I think I think in so much um, of what I've put out has been kind of this idea of like, oh, you know, you're this detective. There's this murder. Um, you're you're going to be in this indigenous sovereign metropolis, but then also, you know, there's this space elevator because I'm like a nerd for space elevators. Oh, me too. Yeah. I was like, that was that was our jetpack. We were promised space elevators and we never got them. <laughs> no. I um I think I just think all sci-fi is cool. So <laughs> this this game's kind of got me. I mean, I'm really excited because I uh I really enjoy like logic games. It kind of sounds like it's going to play out kind of like a Phoenix Wright video game and oh. I'm into that. Yeah, um, um, it's gonna be a lot more like uh, what would I call it? Uh, the Shiva. Never played that. Ooh, Never even okay. heard of it. If you like detective games that make you think, you should play yeah. the Shiva. It's good. Well, um, I just yeah, like Jewish noir. Jewish noir is Jewish that what noir. that is? Yeah, interesting. Jewish um, supernatural noir. <laughs> supernatural noir. That's fun. Is um so this game is uh yours is kind of genre walks too. It's got the the noir, the na- indigenous story, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also d- plays with the um, sci-fi, indigenous futurisms. Can we talk about that a little bit? What have you got? Like, what kind of stuff have you got to say about that in mm-hmm. relation to the game? Yeah. So for us, I think like I was saying earlier, like it just ended up the majority of our team was Métis and Cree, which was good because you know, one of the things we wanted to look at was uh, language and the sort of preservation of language. And when we were sitting in the team meeting, kind of talking about like, what, what would the language of that time sound like? Cause it's set like 700 years in the future. And we, we kind of had this moment where we're like, okay, well, we got it. We, we can't afford to hire somebody to do it for us, basically. Like, we, did, we can't afford to have a, a fluent speaker help us on it, mm-hmm. even though we're, we're trying. Like, we, we, might, we might be able to find somebody to kind of, like, do a quick glance over some words and stuff. So, like, does it read at least legibly? Um, does it make sense if somebody was to sort of, like, read it out loud in their head or something like that? But we don't have anybody on the team who's fluent. And I really wanted to kind of explore that, like, so, you know, 700 years in the future, and let's say all these language programs were successful. We've brought all these languages back. And we're specifically looking at through the lens of, like, Métis Cree people. And we're like, mm, so what sure. does that look like? And I was like, well, it's basically Blade Runner, but instead of Japanese everywhere, it's, like, Cree, syllabic, and, uh, oh, and Cree, yeah. Latin everywhere. 
and so cool yeah and so like a lot of the a lot of the stuff has just like literally i just like put the word for cree person like nyewen um everywhere uh in syllabic and in um and in latin and i was just like it's fine because literally nobody who's not indigenous and not a cree speaker is going to be able to read that it's and it's not really any different from like blade runner where majority of people watching that they can't read what's on those signs like it's there to add a touch of the exotic and i was like well it's not exotic to us but it will feel that way to people who are coming kind of from the outside and I, I wanted yeah. to kind of utilize that as a means, like I was saying, like that idea of like you're coming into the space and you have preconceived notions of what this indigenous space is like. It's the same thing. It's like to those who this is their every day, this is going to feel mm-hmm. like home um, or it's going to feel a little bit more homey. Uh, and mm-hmm. then to people who are sort of like not indigenous, they'd be like, oh, it's so exotic and, and futuristic. And we're like, yes, <laughs> let's go with that. Mm-hmm. I see. And, yeah, and I, that's something I like to play around with. Like when it comes to indigenous future futurisms, I think one of the things I was noticing. This is years ago. I, it's definitely changed in the meantime. But when we first started developing this story, most futurisms kind of focused on these, you know, return to power narratives where yeah. they'd already kind of crossed the threshold of having to deal with the um, what would you call it? The sort of like attempt by colonialism and capitalism to like keep its teeth in that so they're kind of like far removed from any like from far removed from the effects and the influence of colonialism which i was like that is awesome but i was like really kind of need a a pathway like Mm. that's one of the things i like about i think star trek is they would talk about the kind of things that led up to the utopia that it became. And then of course it became mm-hmm. dystopia. That's the size point. <laughs> yeah. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. But, oh wait, give me a second. I like hit something in my throat when I swallowed. Um, anyways, what was, I was talking about futures. I was saying to uh, so t- the this was originally developed between me and Tara Miller, who's no longer on the project. But when we were talking okay. about it, I was like, you know what I think would be really interesting is what would an indigenous futurism on the cusp of total freedom from colonialism look like? And in some ways, that became a space where we were almost re-examining what would happen if colonialism came back? So, you know, 700, in 700 years, the world is going to look incredibly different. Absolutely. But I was curious about, well, you know, what would happen if sort of capitalism, colonialism one day due to, you know, extra, um, a huge ecological event or something kind of just goes away. It's just not, a, it's the power structure is not there anymore. All the rich people have left because they you know, they took off on their like space vessels and now they're gone and we're just left to clean up the mess. And then we got like about, you know, we got about six, maybe 500 years of freedom. And then they came back. It like, well, like, what would, what would we do? 
how would we how would we handle that and it's almost like a, a retelling of the colonization project where it's so time, interesting hmm? i said that's so interesting the idea that um like i've never thought of a, a future because i think of like stories and stuff all the time just i write stuff in my free time i don't really ever publish anything but um i've never really thought about it through the scope of you know, people leaving and the people who are left there were quote unquote free. And then they come back to reestablish all the systems they had in place before. That's really interesting. Yeah. And so I was like, well, what would happen this time? I'm like, well, probably wouldn't actually yeah. go that well for them because you now have uh, an unbroken line of memory about what happened the first time. So this, the idea is that actually this story takes place 200 years after sort of the restart of an attempt at colonialism. And it's like, it's basically at the end. Like it's, it's not working. They're at their like last gasps. They're trying to figure out some way that they can like exert control over the sovereign nation. And it's sort of like that. I was like, Oh, that's really good. Cause that's when people systems, those are when they're most dangerous when they got nothing left to lose. Like it's either, either this yeah. or nothing. And so I'm like, well, that's, that's, that's basically you're like, either it works or nuclear option. So it's like, let's talk. Yeah. Let's like, let's explore this and let's explore it through the eyes of somebody who is like not a big player, but gets kind of pulled in. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause I always liked those stories. I, I never thought they were like dumb. The in, in noir, at least for detective where you have this like Joe Schmo was like, not that great at anything in particular, but you know, he gets the job done just happens to get pulled into this battle between bigger forces. I was like, I yeah. always like that because I feel like that's how I would act if I got pulled into that story. And so I really appreciate him being that point of view rather than it being the point of view of one of the big power players. Mm. Cool. So your, uh, so what that leads me to think is um your main character her name is Megan right Hill Hill I don't I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly but um she's so she's this a uh, third party that gets pulled into this overarching story and it's kind of a story that's already in progress then it's yeah. uh, the story of that okay so super cool so it's going to be it sounds like it's going to be pretty lore rich and lore heavy so question for you is a uh, and this is uh, just based on the game completely. <laughs> is there going to be a um, like a codex or something that's going to tell us what these Cree words mean potentially, or any of that included in the video game? Because everyone I'm asked really, that, and I'm yeah, always I'm really like, interested in that. <laughs> so okay, so this was just this was my like take on it. So I grew up with bootleg Japanese manga and anime, and oh yeah. It was one of those things where like you either learn the language or you just pretended to understand what everyone was saying. And <laughs> I loved how everyone got like as a community, everyone got so into it that they just taught themselves this entirely different language that was like so so alien to them, so different from what they grew up with and so many people because they were so in love with the stories that they were seeing even just from the images that they taught themselves this entirely different language. I was like that, that's what I want here. I want, I want my fans to like go and try to learn it on their own. Like there are so many resources and it's so available. 
so I was like, yeah, I, I kind of almost want to push people to like, no, you figure it out. <laughs> well, this also um, opens the opportunity for like a really cool wiki opening, you know, that's that's written by, you know, maybe there's a fluent speaker that really enjoys the game and they start writing about it. That could be a really cool, you know, a really cool avenue for the game too. Because I'm really into like, um, when I play a game, especially like a story heavy one, I'll go and like hunt for the backstory and stuff through the wiki or through the lore tabs in the game itself, you know? Cause I, yeah. I, I just, I, I enjoy lore. So I'm so, I'm so into like your game. It sounds like it's gonna be lore heavy and I'm excited about that. So much lore. It's going to be, it's going to be ridiculous, but yeah, I, that is something I had thought about that. Like, Oh, we'll just start up a fan wiki and put in, you know, a handful of things like main characters and then pictures yeah. and stuff like that. And then, yeah, just let the fans kind of take it over. Uh, yeah, especially if you guys are having a, a release on two consoles, potentially. Potentially. You know, you guys are having, yeah, PC and potentially Nintendo Switch. Yeah. So um, hopefully, fingers crossed for you guys. Yes. At least that's what it, yeah, it was listed. Um, I'm not sure if that's current, but, uh, you know, that could mean that there's going to be a lot of people that have access to it. So that's really cool. Yeah, I'm really excited. I do hope we end up getting the Switch deal. That would be amazing. But also, yeah, I think- too. Even if it's just PC, that's that's good. And if we don't port, um, we probably would just take any funds that we could have put into that and try to do a Russian translation. Interesting. How does that work when you uh, port the game to like a different language, translated? Oh yeah, language? when you do localization. So the way, yeah. uh, actually, a lot of games do this. They use uh, spreadsheets for their dialogue, and so then what you can do is you can have columns. Right, so you have your English, and then you can have your French, and then you can have your German and Russian and Cree and syllabic uh, and Cree syllabic, and eventually, mm. yeah, we want to offer the game like in Russian. Oh, so we're hoping to aim for a English French release, mm. and then we want to do a German Russian, uh, and then we want to see if we can get funding to do like a Cree in Latin, um, and then a Cree in syllabic. And uh, the funding for the Korean, Latin, and syllabic would that would hopefully go to pay like a fluent speaker to be able yes. to help you with that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So and like that's you, what you do with localizations. You sort of you take your spreadsheet and you pay a fluent speaker. the The trick is you need a fluent speaker who understands games, understands your genre, and understands both languages. Because mm-hmm. if you're trying to work with somebody who you know, was a fluent Russian speaker and knew a little bit of English, they're going to have mm-hmm. a harder time. So it's it's a very it's a very expensive set of skills. Very expensive. Yeah. I'm I'm sure, especially because uh also it has to be someone that is very comfortable in both languages because if you directly translate things, because that could be someone like me, say I direct or I translated a game from English to Spanish. I speak Spanish, but it's a very academic Spanish because I Uh studied it in college. So I wouldn't have all the nuance and all the language specific, regional specific things, even for that, that flavor of Spanish, right? The idioms (laughs) and all that stuff. So I really feel like it's important to have somebody that's comfortable in the language too, so that the jokes land and all that stuff still hits the same way. It's so interesting to think about that. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we were, we're playing around with we'll have to make sure we can do it in a way that's uh uh isn't quite open to abuse is we can have through steam we can have mods 
And one thing we could oh. do is open up language modding to the community. Mm -hmm. That'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be really neat. That's interesting. I hadn't ever thought about like Steam Workshop content that could mm -hmm. be, you know. Um, so earlier you touched on mechanics and I kind of want to go back and um, explore that. What what kind of mechanics are in the game? What is the, like, how does the game play? So I tell people it's uh, it's a detective game that does not do any detecting for you. So you are the thinking machine is kind of our slogan. And nice. the idea with it was that we're kind of combining uh, systems of like dialogue and exploration through talking, uh, systems of uh, sort of like, uh, what do they call them? Like hidden object games almost where- Yeah, you like know, the you, I Spy books and stuff? Yeah, where like you okay. don't, you don't get a track that like, you know, leads you and highlights to the next piece of evidence. You kind of have to like look around the scene, pick up things, talk to people. Uh, you have to use evidence on people to get them to talk about, you know, that or open up new dialogue trees. Uh, one of the things I, I know, I know for some people, this is probably not going to like go over well, but we've based our accusation system on the subpoena form that you have to use in Ontario to get a warrant for someone's arrest. And what I liked about the subpoena form in Ontario is it's very, very simple. Uh, mm -hmm. It's literally like, what's the crime? Who are you accusing? Present your evidence. That's all it it's is. like Clue. Yeah, yeah, like Clue. Very much like, actually very much like Clue. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you have to present a lot of documentation, but essentially, yes. And I was like, oh, this is great, because the nice thing about forms in games for accusations, rather than just being like, I accuse this person, is you actually have to like put together a certain combination of things in order mm -hmm. for it to work. Yeah. And one of the things that we did, and we'll see how this, ha like, this has been a big point. That we, I don't know if it's a selling point, but it's definitely a big point that we wanted to push in the game was that you can accuse the wrong person successfully. And we did that because we wanted it to kind of reflect that gray morality that we're kind of currently living in. And we also kind of wanted to be very true to that idea of you are the thinking machine. No one's going to tell you that you're right. Uh, yeah. I think that's a, and that, that's probably a, um, um, a reaction to me growing up in the kind of system where we have the, the kind of legal systems that we have where uh, there's just the way it's set up. It's like, you'll never really know if that person was innocent or not because of how the justice system is set up because it's more about arguing than it is about, you know, evidence. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, that's something I kind of wanted to reflect as being like a thing. And I, I wanted that uncertainty in the player when they make their accusation. Like, you need to be certain that either, like, if you're accusing the wrong person, you need to have a really good reason as to why. And if you're not, like, sure that this is the wrong person, like, again, you need to, you kind of have to have, like, conviction of your accusation. Like, the game is not going to what would you say? It's, it's not going to tell you good job, I guess, in some way, yeah. like in that way. But what does happen 
is the, the shittier you are at accusing the right person, the less side quests you get access to. And the more <laughs> kind of irritated everybody in the world becomes with you. Okay, so there is a repercussion. Because I was going to ask um, what it was. Because it sounds like this accusing the wrong people is just part of the noir genre of being morally ambiguous but also you know it's really cool idea and i really like that the game doesn't hold your hand i'm into that too so that's neat and i was going to ask what's the repercussion but the world just doesn't react to you the same huh yeah yeah you just like maybe people stop asking you for help because you've put three of their cousins in jail like how would those people know though i mean what I'm, what I'm wondering is, like, in the scope of the world, how would certain people know that it was the incorrect conviction? I mean, they could be just as confused as you are or, you know. Yeah, yeah. And just- that's that's going to probably be something that the player is going to have to contend with in terms of, like, I mean, the player going through the first time is probably not going to know if they're being cut off from side quests. Oh, until yeah, you're right. Finish. Yeah, so they're just going to have to, you know, because, yeah, people are just not going to like you. Like that's going to happen yeah. anyways, even if you accuse the right person. But what does happen? So the absolute thing that does happen is the more you get wrong, the more side quests that are cut off to you. Okay. And that so was just a way you- for us to create a situation where if somebody's like really not good at this, we still want them to finish the game. We don't want them to ever get stuck. Yeah. Yeah. So you that just basically sense. get pushed. <laughs> you get pushed through. You're like, just finish the grade. <laughs> that's so funny. Does that mean there's going to be multiple endings? No. Oh, God. Oh, okay. <laughs> I yeah, know. Everyone would... asked that, and I was like, no, there's always the same ending. But in the way I kind of describe it is like, you know, you go through your school year, right? There's mm. always going to be a final exam. That is an unmovable truth. Even in a pandemic, okay. there was still final exams. So yeah. all the decisions you make up to that final point – yeah, you you have choice, but I, I think it's a it's a fallacy to think that you know all things that have multiple choices need to have multiple endings because sometimes there are going to be places where no, that's just what was going to happen, and you know the path that led you there might have been different than someone else's path, but it still was going to happen. And sure. I like I like that. I I don't think a lot of people actually have a problem with that. I think. Most people who are going to play this kind of game, they would rather have a good, satisfying ending than a multiple ending. And when they, most people say like they want their choices to matter, like most of the time it's stuff that you know a lot of um, games don't do for you. Like people don't react to you differently. Like there have been people complaining about games where like, well, I killed this dude's brother, but he's still giving me side quests. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, that should be cut off. Right? Like, you, yeah. you know and I know that, like, you shouldn't be getting those quests anymore, but he's just a program. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that having a well-constructed ending is better than having several endings that don't measure up and only one ending that's really good, you know? Just for the sake of, I don't know, tying it all together, putting the bow on it. Like, Yeah. It says, I'm excited I mean, to get all the dialogue options. I'm so excited to see everybody's everything. Because I'm that kind of person. I'll play it through until I get everything. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing where we were like, because people were like, oh, is it replayable? I'm like, it it might be. We might actually have to put a progress bar in the game. Um, mm. 
but then I was like, ah, I don't know. I not not all things need to be spelt out for people. I mean, we're we're still going to be testing the game. We're still early days in terms of testing with players. Absolutely. Yeah, so if we get people who like play the game and they're like, "So did I get all of it?" and I'd be like, "Who can tell?" Like, no, seriously, did I get all of it? I'm like, I don't know. I'll check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where where I'm at too. Is I I don't want to miss any of the stuff. So that's interesting that you're thinking about maybe not including a way of me- monitoring that. But also, it's okay. I mean, eventually I'll burn out on it. It'll be like two or three playthroughs, you know? And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's going to be a pretty... I Okay, I don't think... It's like five hours. I don't think five hours is yeah. short. I know for like a lot of game players, but I'm like, it's not... Uh, like well, for me, I don't think game, that's short at all. No, it's not. Like, it's it's twice the length of a movie. Um, it's exactly. A, yeah. I mean, it's shorter than a book, I guess you could say, in terms of like reading. Um, Actually, maybe it won't be. It might actually end up being longer for some people than uh, I think what's going to end up happening. It's going to be like, our team will get through it in five hours and that'll be where we stop. And then mm-hmm. like other, like people who are playing it for the first time are going to take like 10 hours because that's what always happens in games. Like they say they're going to mm-hmm. give you like 20 hours of content, but what they mean is 20 hours of dev content who know the mechanics, who have been playing it every single day. Yeah, so like, yeah, they're going to finish something in 20 hours. That doesn't mean that a normal person coming into this place for the first time is going to be able to do that. Yeah, and also, like, this sounds like a totally different video game than what a lot of video games coming out are now. A lot of games right now are about, like, grind and bullshit, so they artificially add, you know, 700 hours to your world of warcraft playthrough that should have taken you know 20 hours it's so silly mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it doesn't it doesn't mean anything to have a long game anymore it i think yeah. it's important to have a well-constructed game with good mechanics and sound storyboarding and lore you know yeah yeah and i just want people to finish it i really want people to get to the ending um i want people to argue about it it was really funny uh oh, man this was like last year some dude just like dropped a comment on like one of the articles our thing was on i was like oh i bet you the bad guy's a white dude and i was like oh honey it's so much worse than that Uh (laughs) it's like it's like a dual personification of capitalism it's just going to be so like if if you thought uh if you thought um neuromancer was fucked up you will like our game (laughs) I don't even know what Neuromancer is. Oh my god, um, you definitely should. If you, if you like sci-fi. Yeah, I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down right now. And actually, one of the things I really liked about Neuromancer, though I know a lot of people struggled with this, is he does not walk you through that language. Like, it's English, but it's like English of the future, and it is a struggle. Like, when you're starting out to understand what anybody is saying. Like, you really do feel like a stranger in a strange land. And then... Due to immersion and just listening, like listening, reading, and mm. just picking up context, you eventually understand what people are saying. But it's, yeah, it, it can be a wall for some people to kind of get through that initial one. But I, I definitely think William Gibson's Neuromancer is definitely something worth exploring. And that's something that I also kind of want to do with the language in my game is it, it's a bit of a wall for you to get through, even if it is in mm-hmm. English. Uh, we do use a lot of Cree words, but we use them in context. 
So you can, and we, we use them repeatedly. So it's not going to be like, you're only going to see that word once. Yeah. So you're definitely going to be able to pick up on context. And again, it comes down to that, like not, not really holding the player's hand, but also like trusting the player to just sit in it and, yeah. and learn. And, and because we will learn language through repetition. Yeah, of course. You know, you make your brain a little more crunchy just by seeing yeah. it over and over. Yeah. And I agree with you to like, to, um, on your comment about just letting people sit in it, you know, yeah. cause there's so many, there's so many tutorials or so many tool tips and everything that comes out nowadays and everything like computer programs, video games, whatever, you know, and it's just so overwhelming and cumbersome. And I feel like sometimes exploring is just, you know, it's its own reward. You just yeah. learn something and it's like, you know the game guided me to this without there being any sort of pop-up and it's really cool and it feels satisfying to teach myself that I agree. I think that's a good move. Yeah. And I think also one of the things that we want people to feel when they come away from Hill Agency is I want them to feel smart. I want them to feel clever. Uh, Uh I don't want, I, I do know that, and this came out of people complaining about like Arkham Asylum was like, they felt like, they were meatheads because they constantly had the computer telling them where to go, what to do. Yep. It wasn't something they yep. could turn off. Now we were, it was brought up to us. There are going to be people who just like want the story and mm-hmm. don't mind those assistants. And so one thing we are going to look at is creating like an assisted mode because I do mm. want it to be as accessible as possible. Uh, but at the same time, like people will also watch let's plays if they really don't want to play it. Yeah. yeah. Just to watch the story. Which again, yeah, also no, that, totally fine. No, that's a super good mechanic, though. Like, I play this roguelite right now that's called Hades. It's made okay. by... Um, oh, this, yes! Uh, this studio called Supergiant. They're incredible, by the way. I don't know if you're into them. Uh, but all four good. of their games are incredible. 10 out of 10 games. And Hades is no different. It, but um, it's like... It's a roguelite, so you restart every time. But it's just dripping with lore at every turn. And... Um, if you want to get to that lore, because eventually you have to beat the run, right? And it's like 70 levels long and you, oh, know, you have to do it and you have to do it without dying. So it's really difficult. So they have an assisted modes to, to help you get through it, to make sure that you can access all of that conversation mm-hmm. and dialogue. So I think that's a super good move. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely been there where I was just like, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand what you want me to do. Just, I just let me mm-hmm. get to the story. And, we are going to try and spend a lot of time, though, like teaching people. Ooh, this may sound weird. Teaching people how to think. Um, yeah. <laughs> that does yeah. sound weird. <laughs> well, like, you have to t- teach them to think in the context of the world you're building is the thing. Yeah. Well, I grew up on like detective stuff, but I was mostly influenced by like the really early, like Sherlock Holmes, like the actual Sherlock Holmes. Mm. Um, yeah, of course. Con Doyle. Yeah. And like every story was teaching you how to look at the world, how to like think about things, how to build, like how to use your natural innate ability to make connections, but be more accurate in making those connections. And the idea of like deductive and inductive thinking and how those two things when put together, I mean, detective work, I, so yeah, absolutely. I'm like on record as being like defund the police. I really would wish that detective work was not police work because detective work is not policing. Detective work is the art of what do they call it? Uh, post post crime 
resolution, I think is what somebody okay. called it. And okay. I do think like detective work is incredibly is like I don't wanna like talk too much about it, but it was like I really do think it's like a very valuable skill set. I do think it's actually something that is needed. Um sure. but I think it needs to kind of be like its own thing. Um because I think like the act of policing a population is very different from the act of solving crimes. Uh-huh. And because the because the thing about like detective work is it's always after the fact like you know you weren't there when it happened um, you aren't kind of like adding to anything you're just trying to like look at what has been left and figure out what happened and like that's not really that different from a lot of like traditional tracking skills where you're sort yeah. of like there was an animal here uh, I need to figure out which direction it went like these are the kind of things that. Uh, like and the patience and like paying attention to things like this is all the kind of stuff that like traditionally hunters were doing anyways um but it's not actually Mm. like when you start thinking about how as indigenous people we kind of look at the world it's not actually too different from like deductive and inductive reasoning because it's like okay so you sit and you pay attention to the land you pay attention to the weather patterns and the wind patterns and the like animal movements and the plant growth and the water and then you kind of like take all that information which is a lot of information and you kind of like put it together in order to come up with oh this is where i want to plant my garden or like this is where i want to put my house so like these kind of skills are like super useful i think we use them all the time we've i i would say that probably like this is something that indigenous people have been doing for like centuries before sherlock holmes even existed and I was like, I just, I really love it. I think it's very important. And I don't think it's given the kind of like credit and due that it deserves in like as a scientific way. It's always kind of like, sure. when you, like whenever you throw indigenous on it, it just kind of like becomes this like, I don't know. It's like almost like, oh, it's so mystical. And oh, you're so well, connected to nature. I was like, I'm just why, listening. <laughs> yeah. It's why when white people paint bullshit, it's called modern art, but when native people do it it's called folk art you know yeah, it's the same yeah. reason it's it's just so bullshit. raw yeah honestly <laughs> yeah exactly like, exactly and it's like no it's just it's the same painting you know it's the same style yeah you know yeah. It's, the, it's fine <laughs> but, can i copy your work yeah just don't make it too obvious <laughs> <laughs> um, same painting <laughs> Oh no! I lost my train of thought. Oh, shoot! Because we were talking about art. <laughs> yeah, we. I. I got off on a tangent. And I started thinking about art, and because that really upsets so me angry? too. The whole like, yeah, it just everything upsets me nowadays. I'm just an upset person. <laughs> I'm Call it passionate. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I like that. I had a very passionate argument with somebody yesterday, and I wasn't angry. I they were passionate. idiots, but I was just very passionate, you know. <laughs> but I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna go on record right now. I'm gonna after I clear your game, I'm gonna be the speed run holder. Any oh. percent? I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna figure it out in like eight minutes. I'm gonna sequence skip the whole thing, figure it out. Oh my god, he could be like data. Uh, yeah. For he's like, it's that guy. We're like, you can't do that. <laughs> I just skip the whole game. I'm gonna have the most boring let's plays, you know. Oh. <laughs> Shift through a wall and teleport to the final boss room or whatever. Oh I'm gonna God. figure that out. 
So what you're saying is I should make an even harder version for players like you. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm not into that. It was just a joke, but no, I'm, I am really excited and it sounds fun. I mean, like I said, I'm into video games like that, like slower paced. I play a lot of Stardew Valley and nonsense Ooh. like that, you know? So I'm into like the slower pace, think it out, plan things out and move at a pace that works for you. I'm uh-huh. into that. So it sounds fun. But outside of that, outside of the game real quick, because I feel like we've talked a lot about it. I wanted to talk about your your company, actually, because I don't really know a lot about it. Could you uh, explain just a little bit? I know we've been here for a while, but I want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, no, the air conditioner finally came on. So now I'm like, yeah, it's OK. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, we could sit here for a while. We could sit here for a little bit while I'm, I'm finally stopped sweating. Uh, <laughs> But, oh, man, yeah, my company, uh, when I started putting this together, it was, it's, okay, so it it has always been something I wanted to do, but I think when I first started putting this together, I, I didn't really know where I wanted to go. I had this, like, general, you know, when you kind of, like, a lot of kids, like, plan their weddings or or plan their future houses, I was like, I'm going to plan my future business and what it'll look like. It'll have a green roof. And a picnic yeah. table. And like that kind of stuff. And a soda fountain. Like that was the kind of stuff I did as a kid. Um, I was like planning like the perfect business environment. And that's probably also mm-hmm. because like uh, my mom, uh, her family owns a company that she now owns. And so like uh, I've been kind of involved in that like business sort of like desk job kind of environment since I was a baby. And yeah. it was like one of the things I always thought about like what I really wanted to th- think first about like what kind of environment do I want to work in what kind of environment do I want to make for other people to work in uh Mm -hmm. it was like a no-brainer that I was going to make sure that I could create as many opportunities for young and new to game indigenous people Mm -hmm. um so that they could come in even if they didn't have like the right skill set like i was like okay well we need to create a place where we can train up uh, and then besides that i'm like i just i have about five games in me that i really really want to make uh and beyond that i just want to create an environment where my like where i am a worker i'm not just an employer i'm also like one of the workers um mm-hmm. and i also like want to create an environment where my the people I work with and my like my employees feel empowered to sort of work on their own projects outside the company but also work on projects inside the company and create new games so like you know I don't want to be the idea person forever I have these five games but like for me uh I'm fine being the captain I guess I don't want to like dictate what everybody does all the time for every single role uh you know i would really like to have a navigator i don't want to be doing all the jobs all the time and yeah for me being like like it's not fun being an idea person like that for me is not fun for me what's fun is like designing and prototyping mechanics doing the writing okay that's a lie writing is really hard it makes me cry but i still do it because it's something i deeply enjoy when it's finished you mean writing the story Oh yeah, writing the story makes me cry so hard. Writing is so hard in games. How come? Well, it's because it's interactive. So you have to think about what kind of interaction do I want here? 
how does this work? Also, everything's in like bites and bits and it's all over the place. So you can't just have a script. Like you're going to have uh, usually what what I do, and this may change as sort of like our company grows and we develop new systems, but like sort of what we do is each person you run into has their own script on them. And so mm. I have to write a script per person. And then of course, like sometimes like once you're finished an interaction that closes off that interaction, and then there's another interaction and then sort of like in our game where it's like, Oh, you drop a piece of evidence on someone that needs its own kind of like dialogue script to be written. And sure. so it's like, everything's kind of all over the place. It's not like you can just write a story from start to finish. Um, you kind of have to parse like parcel it up all over the place and mm -hmm. you can't control for the most part with games like this you can't control which order the player runs in to characters so the first sort of like the tutorial stage you can totally control that and that's still hard to do in terms of like how you're going to write things out maybe hard is the wrong word just like it becomes complex um, and it just becomes like a lot of words in a lot of different documents. So you kind of have to like switch tracks because you're going to switch to an entirely different document. So sometimes that can be difficult. Uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's really hard. And part of it is we yeah. haven't really figured out how to streamline it for us. Uh, but right yeah, now, sure, sure. yeah, right now it works. That's what's important. Well, your company's four years old, you know, it's growing pains. I it's know. A, We're yeah, so I mean, <laughs> you're kind of uh, preaching to the choir, you know. I mean, two years ago when I started Nomadcast, I had no idea what it would look like, and I have <laughs> no idea if it's ever going to be successful ever. You know, it's just something that I do. I feel you. I understand yeah. completely about the. You have these things that you want to say or do, and there's just no catalyst for it besides starting your own thing. So, yeah, I get it. And yeah, I well, congratulate so I just... you. I'm really proud of you. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, thanks. I just yeah, of course. I was just too freaking old to go through the whole, like, let's work at a AAA studio and deal with that politicaling BS for a while. Well, I'm like, <sighs> also for you, I mean, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I remember you saying there was going to be no violent mechanics in this video game. And also you're not really into violent video games. Yes. So, so, um, that's really tough because AAA studios are basically all violence, you know, and the yeah. only non-violent games are coming out of places like, like Stardew Valley, a single guy in a bedroom making a video game, you know? Yeah. Well, his wife Stuff takes like care of him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's a, well, that was my only example of like non-violence on the spot. Just because <sighs> it's something that I play, I play with my girlfriend. We played pretty recently, so Aww. it's on my mind. Yeah. It is sweet. It is um, very sweet. <laughs> I, yeah, I she's pretty it. upset that I'm trying to romance other people and not her. But, <laughs> <laughs> but oh my I god, mean, they have benefits. She doesn't, you know. They give me <laughs> items and stuff. <laughs> okay, that's literally. So my boyfriend wanted to play it with me, and we're doing like the 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 co-op thing, and he's like, "Oh, yeah. you should date him, or you should date her, yeah. or oh, oh, she's got this, you know." But really, the best is this one, and I was like. Why are you telling me to date other people? Yeah, oh, you know what I found out I about, uh, about the co-op Stardew Valley is you can cool. both sleep in the same bed together. Yeah. <laughs> she comes over to my house and does that all the time. I it's do. Really yeah. Funny. 
it, it was really nice cool because we started playing once the lockdown started and we hadn't seen each mm-hmm. other for four months before that oh my gosh yeah so i was like he's like what are you doing i'm like i'm getting into bed with you is that okay he's like i guess <laughs> it's just weird <laughs> <laughs> that's really fun yeah it's yeah. um that's interesting how have you been handling lockdown Oh, uh, we haven't even talked I mean, about that. That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, I I've been very uh, conscientious of my mental health. Um, mm-hmm. You have to be. I, yeah, it's hard. Uh, I'm well, trying to take care of my sleep. Uh, that that's been a that's been hard. I've been trying to be very careful about the hours I work. Um, physical activity actually has been the hardest. Like uh, I do or did powerlifting, and you know, I haven't been able to be in a gym and it didn't really make any sense to like go and buy a rack and get everything set up. It was sort of like, Oh, I can just wait it out. and Like powerlifting will wait for me. But I just, it's been really hard for me to kind of stay active. Um, Understandable. Like, yeah. Well, like, so I have an anxiety disorder and uh, one of the so like I have a handful of like coping mechanisms, but they all kind of were predicated on the idea that uh, I could just go out whenever. Mm-hmm. And what I have to do in order, so I have um, oh, what do I call it again? It's like so I have agoraphobia, but it's not. It's like a weird one where it's like fear of enclosed spaces with too many people, but. And that's, that's so like, I can't use, like, I usually can't go handle conventions very well. Um, sure. So I'm, I'm always like very cautious. I'm usually like, if you want to find me at a convention, I'm as close to a door as possible. <laughs> so that's yeah. usually where I'm like hanging out on the wall and being like, yeah, that's cool. And sometimes though, um, the reverse can happen where I cannot handle going outside under an open sky and uh, this this kind of manifested more into my teens, and so one of the things that I did was I gave myself like rule sets of like, well, if you have to go to school, you have to go outside, so you have to go to school, so it's not it's best not to think about it. Uh, and it was the same thing for like work or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and now don't really have that except for like maybe to go somewhere and buy something, and like obviously I don't really want to be doing that too much like i don't want to i i am cautious about connecting spending money with my mental health is i guess how i'm trying to put that so i don't want to create a situation where um the only time i feel comfortable going outside is when i'm going to go buy something because then what happens is if i really can't spend any money because like i'm on kind of a tight budget right now um, sure. And or if I really just don't want to spend money because like maybe I want to get something like I was saving up for a bike, um, a bicycle, not a yeah. <laughs> I would love a motorcycle, but I am terrified of driving them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be really sweet. Uh, but like I just become like a shut in and it becomes like really, really hard to make myself go out. And then, of course, the longer it takes, um, the harder it is to like go out again. So I. It, it's just that's really what I've been struggling with is the making myself kind of like go outside for no good reason, like no tangible reason, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, yay. Anxiety yeah, no, I, I feel that <laughs> I have pretty, I, 
my doctor hasn't formally prescribed or diagnosed it yet, but he's talked about it several times about how I probably have PTSD from the hospital. Mm. Um, and so my big fear is that I really don't want to spend any more time in a hospital. Last yeah. year after cancer, like, is basically, you know, I spent oh yeah you know 70 days or something in a hospital it was ridiculous like way too long yeah way too much time eating really bad food and getting poked with needles every day so i don't want that anymore so that's like what fuels my staying home Mm -hmm. but it is getting cumbersome Mm -hmm. because i don't like working where i usually have fun because usually my home computer is like playing video games or watching videos or movies or nonsense you know it's my space or i'm like doing research for this podcast Mm -hmm. it's not like and now it's a bunch of work stuff. And I, I mean, it is what it is, you know, but I just, mm-hmm. it's really frustrating to be frustrated with work at 4.30 and then at five o'clock when I'm off work, just pretend like I wasn't frustrated in this room, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. all of that energy just stays in the same place. And it's really tough. Sometimes it's getting cumbersome because of that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, definitely feel you on that. Um yeah, I have to, I have a, well, right now, like, cause I'm at my parents, uh, my office and my bed are in the same room. So it's like, I gotta, I gotta, I have to go for walks. I like, can't not go mm. for walks. Um, yeah. Otherwise it like, I do start to feel sick. Um, uh, so I have, yeah, I, that's, that's a big thing. I think that's the biggest thing that kind of COVID has affected because like I said, like our team was remote, but like my entire life revolved around being able to just like go to an office so I could get out of the house, talk with people who were like not my roommate or my boyfriend, come home, have a nice evening, you know, do it again. Um, Like it, it definitely was creating, it, it definitely created stress with me and my roommate because like we're both like clean freaks and I think we just started really getting on each other's nerves after a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. that I was very, very blessed that uh, my boyfriend's mom offered us use of a, a house that she was trying, she was going to sell, but um, because of COVID was like, nope. And then now she's like, there's just too much work to do on it. Um, and she's not comfortable with, well, I guess I don't think she actually wants to spend the money. That is what's going on. Yeah. It's literally cheaper to just keep the house empty. Um, so I was like, well, there's no point in me being in Toronto in a big city anymore. I can't go into work. Uh, all my um, incubator uh, options were canceled because of the, like, we were supposed to get into an incubator. So we were going to have, like, access to, like, funding help. And we were going to have, like, there was, like, a mocap. Uh, lab and and like a testing lab and I was like really excited and like that's nope that's all kiboshed because that's devastating yeah yeah that's really unfortunate I, I think it's okay though um I think in terms of like mental health despite what I just said not being in Toronto is probably best for me when I can't mm-hmm. work with my coworkers sure um because it's just it there's like hardly any green space. Um, It's, it is really hard to go walking. There's actually not very much to do in the city. um, Unless like you want to spend money. Uh, Yeah. Not, it's not super accessible to people who are like, not like, you know, you can be homeless and poor. Like that's, I think a thing a lot of people don't talk about is like, you can have a home, 
and not still like not afford to go and do anything. And the way that homes of Toronto yeah. are built is like these little blocks where they expect you to be going out all the time and it's literally just a place to sleep. Like there's no green space, there's no there's hardly ever any trees. Um and I was like, you can't live like that. That's not healthy. And you know, like what are your options? Like, well you can go to the park and you can go play in the lake, the playgrounds and stuff. And you're like, Yeah, but you know, if I was living like in a place like Hamilton or like out in the Muskokas or whatever, then, you know, you can go for long walks in big woods and yeah. you can go foraging. And, you know, there are, there are so many free, it's so bizarre how many free things are available that just feel more accessible in smaller places. So it's like, you can have free things in large cities, but usually it's like, Oh, well it's on that side of the city and it takes like an hour to get there. Um, and then or, there's 800 people in line, yeah. and it's, yeah, yeah, yeah or or like there's only ever three people, and it gets canceled like semi regularly. So you only find out once you show up that it's been canceled. Like that stuff happens too. I've been through that. It's so not. It's not that like I'm hating on big cities because in some way I really did love being there. It was just that when you kind of have these spaces of you're not you're not poor but you're not wealthy enough to be so totally self-sufficient that you just find yourself very frustrated because it's like, you're constantly playing this game of like, what do I spend money or time? Um, and, <laughs> and, like, and, and you always have, you never have access to really any, uh, you know, comfortable amount of space unless you're like very well. wealthy. Yeah, it's so crazy though thinking about like spending money or time because they're and to me at this point they've come so they've become so synonymous, you know. Yeah. Like paying with a debit card is paying with your past hours, whereas paying with a credit card is paying with your future hours. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like eventually it's all going to come out of your lifetime. You know, like you're paying for everything with minutes that you've spent working. It's really crazy to think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that way because I'm really into sci-fi, like the dystopia things and all that. Um. I'm right up there with you. Um, anyway, real quick, I wanted to also ask about your uh, your film festival that you work on. Is that still a thing? How does the, nope, can you talk I, about that a little? I've left. I uh, okay, cool. I, yeah, yeah. I now we're yeah I'm working for my studio full time now since March. I'm so proud of you. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. It was so scary. It was so scary. I oh, I'm sure. Oh my god. I was like, well, like I said, remember how I said well, way before I was like, oh, I just, uh, I just do it. And then I can have the anxiety attack. That's literally what <laughs> happened. I handed in my resignation. I finished my last day and I was like, yep. And then I literally had a panic attack. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, I mean, it is what it is. I want to quit my day job. No offense mm -hmm. to my boss, but the other day I was, well, he has this like question of the day thing that we do in the Microsoft Teams chat, right? Mm. And um, his question like a week or two ago was, what do you, you know, what's your goal? And I, I put, I want to work for myself someday. And it was really nondescript, but looking at it, I was like this, like in the moment, I was like, this seems so ridiculous to type this out and say it oh. in front of a room full of adults, you know? But yeah. after looking back on it, I, I just, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't want to feel bad about wanting to do better. You no. know, I don't want to feel bad about wanting to be self-sufficient. And right now I don't feel that way with this job and it's no, no offense to the job. The job's fine. I work on the reservation and 
we do good work for good people, obviously. I work for the Apache people, you know. So it's not like I'm not doing something I'm passionate about. It's just that I'd really like to have fun while working and be in charge of what I do. And with this, I talk to cool people, you know. Like with you, and I'm not saying this will be my job that I work for myself, but like ideally, you know, it'd be cool to make money on this and just get paid to do what I love, to talk to cool people, to learn new things, to, it's just, it's such a neat idea. And I don't know why I ever felt embarrassed about it. You know, it's Mm. so crazy to think that I felt that way while typing that message out. Mm. Yeah, yeah. no, because like, yeah, I think not that like, not that it has to be the end goal for everybody to be like, be an entrepreneur, which is just as bad as like, you know, slave waging. It can't sometimes, but yeah, you shouldn't feel ashamed for being like, well, I just, I want to do something that has meaning to me. I think for me, it's like, I just want to stop having to, <laughs> what, did, what did I, I said, I said to somebody, I'm like, I just want to stop justifying what I need to do to people who aren't paying me enough to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also just want to stop answering to people Mm -hmm. and that's no offense to my boss my boss is great and i mean shout out to the whole staff at my job because a lot of them really helped out picked up slack and gave me breaks and stuff when i was sick so i mean they kept me on through six months of cancer treatment and me being work from home then you know so they've been very very helpful and they're a great company to work for i just I'm just really sick of all of it. I just want to be on my own. I just want to do something I like for reasons that I want, not for other people's reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's like totally cool. And yeah, I've like, I've been there and I think a lot of us have been there where it's like, we just got dreams and we feel like we should be able to do stuff with that. And I don't know. Well, yeah. I, mean, I think sometimes that's what we feel like, right? Like we're not allowed to. Yeah, well, I understand that life is very largely about like working and paying bills and making yourself, you know, sustainable. Mm. But I want to do that on my terms. Yeah. You know, because I can't escape that reality. I can't escape the reality that I have to provide for myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just want to provide for myself in a way that fits my needs or life or whatever. It's just, I mean, it's selfish, but it is what it is, man. I'm trying to make it, you know, I'm trying to yeah. get out there. Actually, that's uh, well, my my next angle is to create some kind of like trying to think of a non. Everyone's going to assume this is a cult <laughs> word, but like basically like <laughs> an art, like an artist compound, uh, or like an artist residency yeah. that's like basically fully self sufficient, off the grid. I mean, that's like the frustrating thing about, I, and I don't know if it's, I think it's the same in the states, but in Canada, it's like. Um, so like Métis don't have land rights. So sure. I won't I won't get land. There's nowhere for me that like I can get that's part of my community. Uh so if I want any land, I have to buy it from the federal government or the yeah, from the federal government. And the thing in Canada is yep. you only own I think it's the first 2 feet of the top of the land you're on. Uh, or something like so that, like something crazy, like or the first six feet. Like you don't own, you don't own everything. So if if uh, some person came in and was like, oh, there's like gold there or diamonds or whatever, they can go to the federal government and be like, I want to mine, and they'd be like, okay, and you can't stop them because the 
federal government has given them a license to extract that material from under your house. Um, the only Are thing you is like, oh, at all? huh? Do they compensate you at all? No. Or do they, do, is it like insured against so that government no. will rebuild your house if they destroy it or anything? No. That's ridiculous. Like it's like, it's disgusting. Okay. I, I know, I know because I've said this, somebody will like pop up in the comments and be like, I'm actually, I was like, yeah, yeah there are, yeah. There are l- legal things that can be done. But like in terms of if you're just some guy uh, and you don't have any legal Yeah, broad help, strokes. Yeah. You're like, so now what they can't do is they can't destroy your home uh, deliberately because like th- now they can make your life uncomfortable and push you out so they can take it um, and they can try to pay you off. But usually it's a like, here, I'll give you some money might be what your home's worth or not. But I'm like, but what if you just like, you just want your like, what a, <laughs> I call it your, uh, your fuck you, which is basically like your base. Like you want your base, you want a piece of land, you don't like, you don't have a mortgage, uh, you, maybe you pay taxes is the only thing on it. Everything else is set up, you like, nobody can take this from you, except yeah, they can. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I yeah. I have no idea if it's similar in the United States, but I'm in the same boat where if I want to buy land, I've got to buy off the res. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the we're kind of having the same kind of uh, snafu, no, not snafu, like dilemma of how do we want to buy? What does all of this mean? Can people, you know, we're we're worried about the exact same things. And now you've got me scared about whether or not I own from because because the way I always pictured it is when you buy land, I thought it was kind of you own from bedrock to skybox. You know, you own mm-hmm. the whole thing. Like there's no. Oh, you don't own, I, you that's don't own the, the airspace either. Well, I mean, I guess I would never build in the airspace, so that doesn't really bother me as much. But it's still, I just assumed that it came with the property, you know? It's like. But what it does mean in Canada is that the government can, like, they can send drones, they can, like, put airplanes, like, you, you could have I'm this sure that's gorgeous like a piece of here. land, and they could just absolutely destroy it around you in a matter of, like, like a decade and there's nothing to protect you yeah. from that and it was just like it just oh, it drives me crazy <laughs> well i guess that's everywhere though i mean if you like all these towns started somewhere right someone built a house in pine top arizona and then eventually they built the town around it so like you can never you're never gonna be able to stop people from developing around you it's just mm-hmm. it's tough because if you want to stay off grid that's obviously you don't want that to happen <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which means yeah. like you either need to be like super super rich, or you know um, you're you're lucky enough to have access to like um, land rights, uh, sure. and and of course like the federal government uh, will do everything it can to get around that, and the provincial government will do like that's happening in Six Nations right now, where like there is con- it's not even like contested because it was never. It was never given over to the federal government, and uh, the like. The provincial government keeps trying to build on it, and it's like it's just it was the same thing with the Oka crisis. Like it was like this is land that does not belong to them legally. Like so, they're even not Canada. even trying to like ask for it. Mm-hmm. 
Sorry, what? They're not even like trying to ask permission. They're just doing it. Well, I mean, okay. So like, I don't want to get too much into it because it kind of gets complex, but it was sort of like one of these things where they're like, uh, well, this is, this is like, it's like, it's unseated, but also it's contested. So the kind of like, um, draw was that, you know, we won't build on it, but you don't build on it either. And the indigenous, well, the Mohawks were like, we'll see about that. Um, but then, yeah, what ended up happening is like, they just go and what happened with like six nations is that they, uh, I don't know, I think it was the city or the province illegally sold land, uh, like a, a, a permit to build on a piece of land that they did not own because it wasn't, it wasn't legally owned by the province or the federal government. And they sold it. And then, of course, like the company comes to start building and Six Nations is like, what are you doing? Like, it, it like boggles my mind sometimes how like often the federal and provincial governments in this country get away with basically doing the whole, like, I got a piece of swamp for you. Or like, would you like to buy the Brooklyn bridge? Cause that's what they're doing. They're selling something that doesn't belong to them, making a profit. And then they're like, oh, I don't know. They're be- these land defenders are being unreasonable. I'm like, what? no, you sold their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't even consult them either. Like, it's it's not even like they're trying to open a dialogue about whether or not they let it happen. They're just doing it. Yeah. And then that's when people get pissed off, you know? it's That's so stupid. That really makes me angry, too. It really grinds my gears when people do things that they're not invited to do, mm-hmm. you know? it's 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 just it's just common decent you just respect you know yeah and it's happening again like it's happening right now in six nations again and i was just like (sighs) the the fucking gull during a during a pandemic like they couldn't even i was just like they keep they keep doing it and i'm like who here thinks they're clever like who here thinks they're like clever enough to get away with this because it's just like if you're not paying attention to history it's just going to happen every time and honestly it's just going to be a lot of stress and trauma for the indigenous people yeah. involved, but they're always going to end up winning at this point because you look like an asshole if you're pulling this shit during a pandemic. Yeah, it's it's just a bunch of shitheads. That's <laughs> yeah. so ridiculous. Well, anyway, um, to wrap up, we'll uh, yeah, let's we'll end on a, jump happy on a more note. yeah, we'll <laughs> jump on a more happy note. Thank you for coming on i've uh i've been really excited about this i wanted to ask you for a while because and not not a lot of people know this obviously but you were really important to me during cancer treatment you what? always had something nice to say every time i needed oh, yeah. help you'd always make sure you reached out and it just it people remember those things and i remember it very vividly and i just i can't thank you enough it was important oh, for me to have you on and i'm really glad that i met you and that you're a really cool person Aww. i'm really happy to know you yeah, I think you've enriched my life. Thank you. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm very <laughs> glad that my terrible uh, sparkly native memes made you happy. <laughs> oh, those are the best! Oh my god. <laughs> I, I actually was like in the middle of making you a Valentine uh, that you could like send around to people if you wanted. Um, that used yes. the Cirque du Soleil horrible appropriating <laughs> native show, but my- I love <laughs> it. <laughs> I threw it out. It was so. It was. It was literally too bad. Oh, it was, it was, yeah. I can't even describe how bad it was. <laughs> well, that's great. I, now I, now I'm just dying to see it. Okay, you know, you can't tease those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But 
Um, no, thank you for everything. Really. It really, it really means a lot and you've been really helpful. And if there's anything I can do ever to help you or your, your game or your studio or whatever you have going on in your life, let me know. You've always got friends here in Nomencast. Awesome. Oh, you know what you should do? You should reach out to Indian and Cowboy and see if they'd be interested in producing your show. Indian and Cowboy? Yeah, Ryan McMahon. It's in Canada, so I but I don't see why it wouldn't it would be a problem. Okay. I will uh I will look look into it. Um that's it's really interesting that you bring that up because I've um seen other indigenous like networks popping up like this you know mm-hmm. and like i've i've kind of talked to them a little bit and all of them seem so weird like they're oh. not willing to work with you on your terms and i oh. so i'm really interested to see if you're talking good about them though i'm really excited to talk to them i'll definitely reach out yeah see because... see if they're okay like right i mean i've met i've only met ryan twice but uh he's always been a really i mean yeah i've never even heard of thing, them right like when when people are like you know, they got a public face and a private face. I don't know his private face, uh, but like publicly, he's always been a really solid guy. Uh, Beth has spoken well of him as well. So I would say like, just reach out. They also, they produced uh, Métis in Space. Yeah. Which is I'm like, seeing that now. It's just like two Métis women drinking wine and bitching about media. So I'm like, your show is a shoe in Yeah, see... What a lot of people aren't understanding about my show is it's not an interview show. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a that's a component to it, obviously, but it's a conversation show more than anything. I'd much rather just sit here and shoot the shit for an hour and a half with someone like you. You know, obviously, we'll talk about what you're working on. But the last half hour, we've just been riffing on, like, issues and nonsense, you know, just having yeah. fun. And that's kind of where I want this. I want a happy medium between those two worlds. So I kind of think that you're right. I like that idea that there's a space for something like two women just drinking wine and bitching about mm-hmm. popular media or whatever they were doing, because that's kind of the, the place I want to be. You know, I don't want to yeah. be no offense to academic <laughs> or native academia, but I don't want to be associated with that necessarily because <laughs> that's, that's not, not <laughs> that's not where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. There's, that's not where I'm at. And I mean, I, I welcome all of those academics to come on and talk on my show, please. I'm fine with having academic episodes, but as a whole, I want the show to be more open-ended, you know? So that's really interesting that you say that. Yeah. Yeah, you should. I I actually, I feel like you and Ryan would, like, probably really get along. Um, Hell yeah. You guys have, like, you also have a very, like, similar voice. Like, not voice. What is it, like, cadence? Like, to your, t- like, the way you speak, you had a very similar, like, very calming, soothing cadence to your voice. And it's, like, Ryan's got the same kind of, like... And then we'll talk. And I was like, yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for saying that, actually. Because the other day, so um in my Discord channel, we're uh we're starting to get really bored, right? Oh yeah. So yeah. we've started we've started doing things um a little differently. But anyway, the other day, I'll get into that in a second. The other day, my friend um when we were talking, he said that he really enjoyed conversation with me because there was this really calming cadence and I have this really nice rhythm to my to my conversation where I'll build up and build up and build up and talk and talk. And, you know, I talk fast and then he'll say, you'll let it sit and yeah. people will be able to respond and answer. And that made me feel so good. I mean, yeah, I loved that. Cause if, cause that's not a normal compliment, you know, like saying, Oh, you look nice. That's so like hollow. <laughs> but when someone goes through and like 
takes that time god it's the best i love yeah. it <laughs> yeah well there's like something about your voice where like you don't sound rushed and you don't ever sound like you're rushing anyone and i think that's a very good quality for like podcast radio because then it's like people can't like you might think you're speaking fast but like it does not come across that way at all it comes like like your diction is so clear like and and your cadence is so soothing that i don't think anyone notices if you ever rush because i can hear every single word and it's like also it's very soothing just to like hear it so yeah the only thing i don't like about my my voice now that we're getting kind of a critical maybe not critical but (laughs) is um i i feel like i sound tinny like i feel like my voice sounds like it's projecting from inside of aluminum can which isn't bad but it's just weird you know because you don't ever hear your voice from outside of your head are you saying when you hear yourself uh recorded yeah yeah Yeah. that's normal that's everyone's like that uh, I think I yeah. sound like a, a valley schoolgirl when I hear myself. And I was like, oh, God, no, every, no wonder everyone gonna, thinks I'm like 19. I was like, I'm not. Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything, but you kind of do, you know, it's I like, do. Were you, you're not 19. I was, that's what I wrote in your bio. I can't change it yet. Anymore, yeah, so. I, was 19. <laughs> I literally had somebody uh, just monday be like hey we're interviewing like young indigenous people that are moving in the world we'd love to interview i'm like i am 37 i am closer to 40 than i am to 20 yeah i'm about to be on the the right side of 32 i'm 20 i'm 27 right now so oh i'm getting there yeah yeah it's it's uh it's a little more traumatic than i thought it was gonna be you know when i turned 27 i was like holy shit i'm three years away you know (laughs) Because three years is not a long time in relation to 27. Mm-hmm. You start to realize how short a year is once you get past 20 years old, you know? Oh, my God. Do you know what <laughs> my sister said to me when I turned, like, 25? She's like, congratulations on a quarter way to death. And I was like, Jesus. <laughs> no, we're, we're living long enough to where our brain will be uploaded to the cloud. Yes. And we're just going to produce podcasts forever. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. In metaphysical I, I saw space, that. you know? I saw that article. It was like millennials be the last or what was it? Boomers, the last generation to feel death. And I was like, ha. Huh. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know how to take that. That's so good. <laughs> oh, that's, that's mean. I, I'm sorry to anyone that's offended, but that's funny. Okay, but Holy you like. Sh- Somebody wrote that and then someone approved that and somebody had to watch that print out like a hundred million times. So I was just like, damn. That's incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. I love it. It's that sounds like um, like I said, I watch a lot of or I write a lot of like bullshit for like just for fun, like sci-fi stuff mostly. Um, that sounds like something that I would include in like one of those stories, you know? <laughs> yes. Like something ridiculous like that. Like one of the ones I was working on recently, and this actually came from a friend. He gave me the idea. I was um it was about these people in Silicon Valley after like nuclear war. So obviously it's back to the Stone Age because all the smart people died. But there's still people that were smart enough that they were able to read and stuff, but they couldn't like rebuild technology. So like three or four generations down the road. They can read all these things, but they don't know what Google means, you know? Yeah. Just, it was, it, so in the scope of that world, like Google became synonymous for search, like in a physical sense. They were like, I'm going to go Google some firewood. Oh, you know? it's already happened. I, <laughs> yeah, just... it's so silly. Google some firewood. Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm Googling in this cave for some mushrooms, you know? <laughs> like, Oh, God, that's 
just said so long. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google us up some uh, some mushrooms there. And you're like mm, tasty. <laughs> yeah. Well. Anyway, that's kind of a. a yeah, we should probably end my creative mind. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much for coming on. Please, if you have anything to plug, please do it now. And then I'll do my shout outs after that so I don't disrupt you. Uh, just my video game, Hill Agency, coming out fall 2021. And you can catch us on achimogames.ca, which is A C H I M O Games, G A M E S dot C A. Yep. And any social medias you want to drop? Uh, we got our Twitter, which is the same, uh, at Achimo Games. And also, if you want to find me, I'm at Burn, B-Y-R-N-E underscore Megan, M-E-A-G-A-N on Twitter. Yep. And I will uh, link to all of those things in the in the episode description. So please... Everybody click on those links, go follow and support and get excited because this game is going to be cool. So if you have a PC or if you're interested in getting one, this is another reason to be excited about it. Please support. I'm really I'm really excited for this and we're going to follow this closely. I'm sure she'll be back on as pro progress is made on the game. Yes, because so, we're doing it. We're finishing that. this. <laughs> yeah. And um, anyway, like I said, Megan, if you could send me a press press kit or oh. whatever. Sure. Um, stuff like that so that i can make sure it's up with this episode now last thing i'm going to read a little bit of things from my end and then we'll wrap up okay and then you want so to everybody make sure to go on oh what's up and then you wanted me to stay on afterwards oh yeah i i just don't want the recording to mess up because i'm not i'm still new so i don't know all the nuances to this recording software that i'm using okay so, i will let you hang up first yeah. then <laughs> okay yeah so everybody make sure to go and follow us on social media for information and to participate with the show and other listeners. Just search Nomadcast on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And in one of those places, just click on the link in the bio and it'll take you to a link tree to go everywhere else. So make sure that you're following us or subscribing on your listening platform of choice. And if you could just write a review and rate us, it really helps to grow the show. And outside of that, thank you everyone for listening. I think this has been one of the better episodes and I'm really excited for the new start. Thank you so much for being here. And, um, yeah, I think that's a wrap. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.